0: Welcome back, aviators. Nathan Aller here with another episode of Nathan's Landings. Tonight, we'll conclude our seven-part series on the fundamentals instruction. Tonight, we will be discussing risk management, task G. Now, if you've missed my other six parts, uh, you can find them on Spotify and soon will be uploaded to Facebook under Nathan's Landings. Tonight's objective is for you all to have instructional knowledge of risk management and be able to describe the principles of risk management, the risk management process, levels of risk, assessing risk, mitigating risk, understand what the I'm Safe Checklist, the PAVE Checklist, and the 5P Checklist are. So without further ado, our lesson is important in the aviation community. You know, we need to be educating our students that uh, can take a preemptive approach to risk management rather than a reactive one. So what is risk? Well, the FAA and the instructor handbook defines risk as the probability and possibility of severity of an accident or loss from exposure to various hazards, including to people in loss of resources. Now, risk management is the actual process or the formalized way of thinking about these topics. It's a logical process of weighing the potential cost of risk against the possible benefits for allowing those risks to stand uncontrolled. Now, there are several types of risks, and those risks are what's called total risk, identified risk, unidentified risk, acceptable risk, unacceptable risk, and residual risk. So total risk is really just the sum of all the identified and unidentified risk. You know, it's the entire picture of risk when we're talking about, um, let's just say that we're going to go fly for breakfast. Well, total risk is everything that we can identify as a risk. And it's all those things that uh, are not identified that still pre- present hazards. So again, identified risk—you know—that's common sense. Those are the things that have been determined through um, some sort of analysis or techniques, right? These are the things that we perceive as hazards. And uh, unidentified risk; those are things that you know we haven't identified. You know, and there may be uh, risks that we're not going to ever be able to identify. Um, But, you know, there's still that inherent hazard there. There's still risk. So unacceptable risk. Unacceptable risk is the level of risk that cannot be tolerated in any situation. Right? Unacceptable risk also is kind of like a um, subset of identified risk that must be eliminated or controlled. Um, You know, for example, an unacceptable risk would be uh, water in our fuel, right? We get ready to depart out on a, on a cross country and we notice that there's some moisture in in our wings. Well, we're not going to continue that flight, right? That is a major potential hazard. That's a major risk having fuel in there, right? So we would have to mitigate. Uh, and in this situation, we would have to eliminate um, that potential risk, you know, of water in the fuel. You know, that's unacceptable. We couldn't do that. Another type of ex- unacceptable risk would um, 100% knowing that you're flying into known icing in an aircraft that uh, is not designed to fly into known icing. So if we were planning a uh, cross country and we had to pass through an area with uh, uh, freezing temperatures and some precipitation, uh, well that would be unacceptable, right? That would be an unacceptable hazard and that would be an unacceptable risk to take that flight. Uh, knowing well that our aircraft uh, wouldn't be able to perform in that environment, right? Now, is there ways to mitigate that? Sure. You know, we could leave later, uh, possibly divert around. I mean, there's ways to mitigate or reduce that. Uh, but at face of value, flying into known icing conditions uh, without the uh, proper training or the right aircraft, right? That would be an unacceptable risk. And acceptable risks... These are risks that are identified and they're allowed to resist without further um, management of action, right? Um, You know, an acceptable risk is, you know, knowing that flying is just inherently potentially dangerous, right? Um, An acceptable risk would be that I know that I could have an engine failure on takeoff. Um, But we're going to go ahead and allow and, and keep going on this trip because we've done everything that we can do to mitigate that risk, right? We do our 100-hour inspections. we do our annuals, we change the oil. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that we do. We uh, know our intended takeoff and landing distances. Uh, We brief our departure. Um, So if like we line up on our runway and we get ready to depart and our engine instruments aren't all in the green and they're not interpreting what we need to do, well, then we're able to mitigate or reduce the, the potential risk um, of an engine failure, but we're not able to to eliminate all of it. And that uh, moves us on to what's called a residual risk. <clears throat> and again, rigid, residual risk is uh, the re- the risk that's left over after all the safety um, efforts that we can do uh, have been employed. You So, know? um, It's not necessarily the same as acceptable risk. Um, Residual risk is really just more the sum of acceptable risk and unidentified risk. And it's kind of the total risk passed on to the user, the the person that's getting ready uh, to to do whatever activity that's going to involve some sort of risk. That's residual risk. So moving on, we're gonna talk about the principles of risk management. And this is going to be one of the first topics that we're going to need to speak about under Test G on the instructor PTS. And open up tonight, what what is the goal of all this? You know, what is the goal of risk management? Well, a goal of risk management is to really proactively identify safety-related hazards and to reduce the associated risk, right? We want to mitigate those associated risks to uh, potentially hazard things in flying, correct? This is such an important component of the decision-making process. Um, You know, we talked about a little bit of aeronautical decision-making in our last chapter. Um, This risk management really is a, a major a component of doing that and making really good decisions. You know, when a pilot follows good decision making practices, um, the inherent risks of a flight are reduced or eliminated. You know, as an inspiring instructor, it's paramount that we teach our students the ability how to make good decisions based on direct and indirect experiences uh, throughout their educational process. Now, to implement good risk management, there are four principles that we should follow. And those are first, accept no unnecessary risk. You know, next is to make risk decisions at the appropriate level. And third is to accept risk when benefits outweigh the cost. And finally, we must integrate risk management into planning at all levels. Now, imagine for a second that you are a new instructor and you've been asked to fly with a brand new uh, instrument rated pilot in an airplane that you've never flown with avionics that you don't quite understand Uh, In weather that is below your own personal minimums, would you go? You know, would you take on this responsibility? You know, what kind of inherent risk or hazards are there? Well, we already said that the weather might be below your own personal minimums, right? That's the first thing. The next thing is, is that you're flying an aircraft that you're not familiar with the avionics in a plane that you've never really flown before. So would you go? The first thing that we're going to speak about in the risk management process, right, is first accept no unnecessary risk. Everything that we do involves risks. And remember, it's our job to mitigate that and not to add any degree of added uncertainty or unnecessary risk to the current equation that we're already in. So I can tell you personally, if I was faced with this situation, absolutely, I wouldn't be able to do it. And, and you know, I would look at the um, st- the pilot and I would say, hey, you know what? I know that this flight is really important to you. I said, but you know what? I went ahead and I did a a quick, an assessment, and you know what? I've never flown a a, a Baron before, uh, a turbocharged Baron, and I'm not really familiar with, I mean, this will be kind of hard not to be familiar with, but let's just say for the benefit of the doubt, I'm not uh, familiar with Garmin Avionics, the latest Garmin Avionics, okay? Um, And the other thing is, Buddy, I don't fly less than 500 overcast and two miles visibility in a single-engine airplane. I'm sorry. And, you know, it's reporting, um, you know, right at minimums in one mile. And, you know, even though it's legal to do it, it's not wise. It's out of my comfort zone. So, uh, unfortunately, I can't, uh, you know, I can't accept that level of risk. I, you know, maybe we need to uh, drive. I'll drive with you or, um, you know, maybe we have to take an airliner. I don't know. Again, <clears throat> excuse me, the first one again is accept no unnecessary risk. The next thing is is make risk decisions at the appropriate level um, and a good way to to remember that anyone can make risk decisions. However, the appropriate decision maker is the person who can really develop and implement. Uh, the risk controls in in a given situation. And this really comes into uh, single pilot situations, um, uh, single pilot resource management, if you will. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Why would you let anybody else other than you make your decisions for you? You know, if you were getting ready to set out on a flight, why would you let ATC tell you if the weather's good enough for you to go or not? I mean, that should be your job. You should know that. You know, why are you uh, letting your passengers make decisions based on your responsibility, your flight, right? So, even though they can help make decisions, remember that the decision maker or the, 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 the decisions need to be made at the appropriate level. All right. The next step is accept risk when benefits outweigh the cost. This is a big one, all right, and it's a little confusing, but remember to accept risk when the benefits outweigh the costs. And we must be able to identify uh, what the benefits and uh, what they should be compared against, I guess you can say, um, and what they're compared against is really the identified cost. That's that's kind of what the definition of this. Um, and to give you guys maybe a little example when this comes in, uh, remember we were speaking about some hazardous attitudes, right? We had the machoism, uh, the anti-authority, right? Um, and then we also talked about some pilot um, traps that we get into. Remember, as pilots... We don't like to say no. We're like kind of people that want to get the job done. Um, and there is something that's going to plug you for the rest of your um, flying career. Uh, and that's get there-itis. All right. It is one heck of a uh, disease. And to give a great example of, you know, only accept risk when, when uh, benefits outweigh the cost would be, Let's say that we, uh, had a wonderful vacation, right? We flew up to Tennessee for the weekend, um, and had a great, great time up there, Dollywood, whatever you want to say, Gatlinburg, and we decided to leave late Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, and even though that there was some marginal weather that was turning south in Florida, um, you know, it was still within the capabilities of flying. Well, we on Monday, I have a job meeting. I have a meeting at work. Like, I need to get there for this meeting. So, the benefits of taking this flight mean that uh, I get home and I get to my meeting, right? I impress my coworkers and, you know, whatever I'm working on at work, I get the job done, right? That's, that's my... Um, that's my benefit of getting home. But what's my cost? What's my cost in this situation of getting home? You know, it's already been a long weekend. We've been doing things all weekend. So there's probably a good chance that I'm fatigued. I'm tired in some way. And remember when we spoke about uh, fatigue, it's one of the most serious things because you don't really know that you're fatigued until uh, you start making mistakes, right? Until you start making errors. Now, what's my cost? Well, I have three beautiful young daughters and a wife, right? So if I push on to do this flight, does the costs outweigh the benefits? Or do the benefits outweigh the cost of of continuing on? So in my scenario, let's say that I went and I pushed on. And in my haste of wanting to get home, uh, the weather just kind of gets worse, still in my capabilities, but now I'm fatigued, so I set in the wrong altimeter setting, or I set in the wrong localizer frequency, or I start making a series of mistakes, and for whatever happens, let's just say there was an accident, let's say there was an accident, uh, and in this accident, I hurt one of my family members or potentially killed them. So this get there-itis, right, this, this I need to get home uh, goes directly back to this, you know, only accept the risk when it benefit, benefits or outweighs the cost. And in this situation, pushing on through the middle of the night and deteriorating weather just to make it to a job interview or a job meeting tomorrow, um, you know, might not outweigh the cost of something that potentially could happen. So in this situation, you know, we could mitigate or reduce this. By maybe taking a couple hour naps. You know, I flew into this airport once. It was I think it was in Baxley, Georgia. I don't remember the identifier. But this FBO, they had like bunk beds that you could sleep in. You know, you just give them like a little bit of donation. I think it was like $20 or $30 or whatever. But if you're flying along and you were tired that night, you could just put like a little donation and they had linen and everything upstairs and you could sleep. It was it was wonderful. So that might be an example um, that I can give you under, you know, accepting risk when benefits outweigh the cost. Um, You know, another person that has to really deal with this is uh, airline, you know, commercial pilots, you know, sometimes commercial pilots, and I'm pretty sure that there's been several commercial pilots um, that have been sitting in their cockpit of of their jet, not wanting to do a trip, but because they are... Pretty much forced by the airline to make uh, on, time, on time goes, they go. I know for a fact that I've, you know, uh, read a lot of case studies um, with uh, pilots that maybe uh, didn't follow this. All right. Next up, integrate risk management into planning at all levels. So generally speaking, it's much easier to assess risk in the initial planning planning stages of of doing something. Excuse me, coronavirus. So again, think of it this way. Is it easier to plan a trip before you actually get going or like on the fly? You know, do you and your buddies just jump in the car and, like, start heading out uh, for a three-day weekend uh, with absolutely no plan, right? Have you ever done anything like that? I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's fun. But how difficult is it to kind of plan in the middle of doing something? So imagine if you just, like, went down, jumped in an airplane, and just went flying with, like, absolutely no plan. Like, you did not do any kind of assessment of your flight. You just jumped in and went. So remember that the longer or the later uh, that changes are made in this process of planning, uh, it becomes more expansive and time, time consuming, all right, if you will. Um, and it's because risk is unavoidable, um, risk is an unavoidable part of every flight. Uh, safety requires the use of appropriate and effective risk management, not just in the pre-flight planning, but in all stages of, of the flight. Remember that risk management is a continuous process. It, it, we're gonna talk a little bit more about why or how this is a continuous process later, uh, but it, but it never stops. The second you decide to start taking this flight, this whole risk management matrix just continues over and over and over. So next up, we're gonna speak about risk management process. And the process here is to, to um, remember to be able to fly safely. Um, pilots need to be able to identify the risk and assess the degree of risk, um, and find the best course of action to either reduce it, uh, mitigate it. Um, that's our main focus, right? Is we need to be able to identify so that we can assess and that we can reduce, uh, and or mitigate, um... Potential hazards throughout our flight. And we do this, we implement this process um, by doing several things. And the first thing is, again, is that we identify the hazards, we assess the risk, and then we mitigate that risk. So identifying the hazards these are all the things, these are all the real threats of a flight um, or potential conditions that can cause, remember, the illness, the injuries, the death or damage to persons or property, correct? And once we identify the hazards, well, then we need to some sort some sort of way, we need to assess the level of risk. Um, you know, do we see a little chip in the propeller as... Um A severe or a minor situation I don't know, I'm not there, just depends on you and your experiences, you know, but that is definitely a potential hazard, right? We identified a potential hazard hazard and nick of the propeller. Now we need to assess the degree of it. We need to understand the degree of how severe and what the what the potential is going to cause later down. You know, if we don't mitigate or reduce this potential hazard, is it going to uh, cause us problems later on? And that leads us to the last thing. So the last thing is is that we need to mitigate the risks that we find. So that's really just asking how do we reduce or em- el- eliminate the perceived hazards. Yeah, I can't talk tonight, guys. <clears throat> Crazy. So... Now, as implementing this risk management process, it allows for maximum benefit of a series of steps uh, to go a little bit further. Um, And this is another form of risk mitigation strategy. Remember, when implementing a strategy, you must apply the steps in a sequence so that each step is a building block for the next and it should be completed before moving on to the next step. If a hazard is detected, it really needs to be controlled before moving on uh, any further. Uh, Or at least it definitely needs to be marked as uh, something that needs to be eliminated or mitigated uh, before completing uh, a flight. Next, we must really maintain the balance in this process. Remember that all the steps are important, and we need to allocate the time and resources to all the stu- all the steps in order to um, in order for this to work and perform well. Right? Remember that we need to also apply these uh, steps in a cycle. It's kind of a supervise and review. You know, once controls are in place. The process must be reevaluated re- periodically to ensure the effectiveness of what we're doing. Uh, every person at their level must fulfill their roles to ensure that the controls are maintained over time. Remember that risk management, this process, it continues throughout every mission or activity that we do uh, in aviation. Uh, so those are some of the uh, ways of... Uh, implementing, I guess, a risk mitigation strategy. The next up is uh, a level of risk. And again, the level of risk is a given hazard or situation is measured in terms of its severity and its probability of actually occurring. That's really what the level of risk is. You know, is this uh, something that's going to frequently occur Is this something that's occasionally going to occur? Uh, You know, how do we know um, what the level of risk that we're seeing? So next up, we're going to speak a little bit about assessing risk. And... As mentioned earlier, every flight has hazards and some level of associated risks, correct? So it's important that pilots and especially students are able to differentiate uh, in advance between what is considered low risk and what's high risk in flight and we really do this by learning and you know we establish the kind of a review process and we implement risk mitigation uh, mitigation strategies to address flights that, you know, can help build on an uh, automatic process, um, which would really include great risk management. So, remember back as a single pilot, assessing risk isn't really simple. Remember, in a single pilot situation, uh, we act as our own quality control in decision-making, in the decision-making process. You know, most of us pilots, again, we're goal-oriented, and when we're asked to accept a flight, there's a lot of tendencies where it's very hard for us to say no. So, it's so important that we implement these personal minimums um, and that we follow... Um, some form of checklist, I guess you can, to help us uh, get past these um, potential issues. Remember that the single pilot, um, there's not another crew member there, and we don't have the opportunity uh, to get another person's opinion. And we are incredibly vulnerable uh, without this full crew. Now there are several risk assessment models, and we're gonna be speaking about those here momentarily, Uh, but those assessment models really help us uh, get through this risk management process. So mitigating risk is really only part of the equation. Remember after determining the level of risk, the pilot needs to also lessen or mitigate that. And there are several checklists uh, that we use to help mitigate uh, risk. And the most common are the I'm Safe Checklist, the PAVE Checklist, and the 5P Checklist. So the first one up is kind of my favorite. I like the I'm Safe Checklist. And the I'm Safe Checklist really helps determine the physical and mental readiness of um, someone ready to be free. And it's broken down by illness, medication, stress, alcohol, fatigue, and emotion. And the first one up is illness. You know, are you sick? You know, is there any kind of illness or injury, anything that you're kind of feeling uh, down? Do you have a cold, a cough? You know, do you have sinus troubles? How are you feeling today? This is a question that you need to ask yourself. The next thing up is, is medications. You know, uh, are you taking any medications that might affect your judgment? Remember, we talked about anxiety and stress. Are you under a lot of stress? Stress is our next one, our third one. You know, and stress, remember, it can be um, physical. It can be psychological, right? Are we having any health or family problems? You know, what's the root of this stress? How can I reduce this? Did something just happen to cause me? Did I just get a phone call saying that, you know, I have a loved one that became ill and now I have to jump in my airplane and fly halfway across the country? You know, did you assess that level of stress? Is that something that's wise? Alcohol. You know, we'll be talking a little bit more about alcohol uh, in our next section. Um, And... In regulations as well, but have you been drinking in the last eight hours? What about in the last twenty-four hours? So alcohol can also have a direct impact of how we uh, perceive and understand hazards and risks. You know, I'm pretty sure if you got a little toasty and got in an airplane, uh, certain things that. Uh, If you were sober, you wouldn't think that you would think would be, um, you know, a hazard. Uh, But now that you're intoxicated, you might not think those are that big of a deal. Alcohol has no place in aviation. Next up is fatigue. Are you tired? Have you rested adequately? How many nights of sleep have been interrupted? I'm a new parent again. Um, I just had another little baby girl about two months ago, you know, is taking on a big flight right now, something that I want to do, being that I'm woken up several times a night, you know, I think naturally I'd be a little tired and fatigued, but I also haven't flown in a while too, because my airplane's down, so, I don't know, I probably would want to go flying, but I shouldn't. And last one is emotion. Am I emotionally upset? And this goes right back to, um, you know, did you just get a phone call that a loved one, you know, is sick and now you have to, you know, fly halfway around the country? You know, did you just get upset by what air traffic control said to you? Um, you know, how is that going to affect you um, in whatever situation you're in? So again, that's the unsafe checklist. And this is really just to... Uh, Determine your physical and your mental readiness before flying. Um, This is something that I do a lot. Um, You know, again, I had a a past uh, career that was very stressful, that included a lot of time away from my family, and um, I put a lot of hours in being a paramedic, Um, and I found myself often that, you know, I was not in a good place to fly. I wasn't so. This I'm safe is uh, pretty important. So, the next way um, is called the PAVE checklist, and that's Papa Alpha Victor Echo. And this is another way to mitigate risk or to perceive ha- hazards. And by incorporating the PAVE checklist into Um, different stages of flight planning. It also allows the pilot to divide the risks of flight into four categories. Um, And the first one is is the pilot in command, right, or the pilot. The next is the aircraft. Um, The third is environmental. And the fourth is external pressures. So the paved checklist is if I use this, then I would start with pilot and command and the pilot and command. Well, I kind of can tie that I'm safe checklist into pilot and command, but it goes a little bit farther. It's not only do, do is the pilot and command uh, feel well enough to do the flight. Um, it's also like, does the pilot and command uh, have the proficiency right now? Are you, um, proficient in this situation, um, are you, do you have your personal um, minimum set for this flight? Um, are you in a good place to make in and in, in fly this airplane? Are you uh, competent? The next one's aircraft. Um, believe it or not, when we do our risk assessment, we also need to do a risk assessment for our airplane. So I can tell you right now that the plane that I'm used to flying has not turned over in three months. And, I, you know, we kind of worry about a little bit of engine um, corrosion, especially being down here in Florida. You know, so if I was getting ready to go on a really big, long flight, uh, you know, would uh, would my aircraft be up to par? Is there something that we need to probably do? I don't know. I mean, I think that maybe taking a little look, a little borescoping, make sure there's not any corrosion around the, the valves and, and things like that. Um, but again, what is there, What is there? what can we do for the aircraft? Is the aircraft uh, up to date on all its maintenance? The next one is environmental. Um, and when I think of the PAVE checklist, um, this and the next one are probably the two biggest. Uh, that i that i that I use, so the next one up is environmental is the environment that we're going to be flying in within your capabilities, and what hazards have you identified and eliminated and or mitigated um you know, I talk a little bit about flying in icing conditions um you know, are you gonna be doing that flight to Tennessee to go to the mountains this weekend? On uh, the freezing levels at 6,000 feet. And you got to get to at least 8,000 feet. You have to fly through some clouds. You know? Um, is it going to be a night flight? Is it a daytime flight? Is it windy? Is there convective action? Um, you know, is there storms? You know, what kind of environment are you going to be flying in? And then the last one is external pressures, Um, and this one's huge, guys, all right? We want to share aviation with everybody. Um, I'm pretty sure that if you are listening to this podcast, uh, we pretty much all have to be probably a private pilot at this point, if not more of a commercial. And I bet that we all have some story about being pressured um, by something. Um, We need to set personal minimums uh, for items in each one of these categories. Um, We need to make sure that we don't allow to get suckered into doing something um, or coerced into making a flight that we have identified some kind of hazards. Um, The external pressures... um, I can tell you that uh, let's see, it was probably like what 2000. It's probably like 2016. And I flew a beautiful 182 G1000 up to Tennessee, um, and I took some work colleagues with me, uh, and we had a wonderful time. And we were in Knoxville, spent the night, had a great time, uh, and then what we were going to do the next morning, we were going to fly over to Columbia, South Carolina, where my mom and dad live. And, you know, when I woke up, I checked the weather and I noticed that the winds at, you know, 10,000 or 9,000 feet uh, were about 45 knots, right? And learning to fly in the Gatlinburg area, I knew that that level of wind over the uh, mountains uh, is going to cause some mountain waves and it was going to be turbulent. So I went to my passengers and I kind of tell them like, Hey, listen, um, today might not be the, or right now might not be the best time to, uh, fly over to Columbia, uh, because of the high winds going across the mountains. And from previous experience, it can get awful choppy across the mountains and, they kind of were disappointed. Like, they didn't want to stay any longer in Knoxville. Like, they, we pretty much already did what we needed to do in Knoxville. They wanted to move on to the flight. And they were a little pissy about it. And, um, you know, at the time, I was a young private pilot. I didn't know any bother. It was a nice, clear, sunny, beautiful day. And I warned them. I said, all right, well, you know, if we go on this flight, you know, we get up there, it's going to be bouncy. You know, it's going to be kind of a rough flight for 100 miles or so. Well, let me tell you what, y'all. I have never hit turbulence so bad in my life. Mm, I thought the wings were going to come off that airplane that day. Mm-mm-mm. Yep, totally got talked into doing something that I didn't want to do. I was externally pressured by my crews or by my, my passengers, if you will. Horrible flight. Don't recommend it. It was terrible. So to recap real quick, that's uh, a checklist, pilot and command, aircraft, environmental, external pressures. Please, if you do anything, go back and reread these. You will see these on every check ride that you ever do. Please have a plan. Please set some personal minimums for each one. Uh, and I'll share those with you real quick, okay? So for me, pilot and command, right? I am not going to take a flight... Uh, with passengers, if I don't have at least 10 hours in that aircraft and I have done at least three takeoffs and landings uh, within my 90 days, and though that's a legal current, you know, even though that's a legal thing, uh, that's still my um, my personal minimums, okay? I need to have at least 10 hours in an aircraft before I put a friend or somebody in there, all right? Uh, as far as the aircraft goes, um, I need to know and understand the systems before I take that, or take passengers. Environmental, I don't fly anything less than uh, 600 feet overcast and 2 miles visibility. I do not fly in uh, convective, uh, um, convective thunderstorm situations. I do not fly if there's low-level uh, low turbulence. Uh, or if the sur- surface winds are more than 15 in gusting, I just don't, there's no reason in these little planes, There's just no reason to do it. Um, now as I'm building my experience and I, as I take an instructor with me, um, you know, I am always able to reduce those personal minimums, but you never reduce those personal minimums for flight that you want to take. And then, the last thing is external pressures. Um, I am just open with people. And I generally tell people, hey, listen, I know you wanna go fly over and see your house, um, but we're gonna be 2,000 feet in the air and you're probably not gonna see a whole lot. You know, I can take you by there, but I'm not, I'm not going any lower than that. Um, I also tell people that, hey, you know what, even though that we're going on a private plane, to uh, so say the Bahamas for the weekend or Key West, I usually tell my passengers, um, "You guys have to have a backup plan in case if something happens to the airplane or we come across weather." Um, yeah, it's really fun and efficient to go down to Key West until you get down there and your your alternator or your starter doesn't work, right? So to to just l- eliminate that external pressures right off the bat. Uh, The best way to deal with that is to tell people that you're not going to be on time. Tell people that situations arise all the time. The plane may not start. Weather may pop up. Uh, I understand that you need to get to work tomorrow, but you want to go on this flight to uh, Georgia with me um, and something happens. I can't get you an airline ticket and I may not be able to get you back tomorrow. So, you know, you put that information on them. You put them on them. So that's the paid checklist. All right. And then moving on is the five Ps, and the five Ps is really great, Um, and this really helps uh, understand uh, single pilot resource management, Um, and it looks at five different uh, key elements of that single uh, pilot resource management process, and it's the plan, the plane, the pilot, passengers, and programming. Uh, again, that's plan, pilot, plane, passengers, programming. I think I just said that in the wrong order. All right, last time. Plan, plane, pilot, passengers, programming. All right, and these areas, again, they, they all these three things, they kind of do the same thing. And... Remember, we need to look at this as a continuous process. So the first one's plan, or we can also call it the mission or the task, and it contains generally the basic elements of like what the cross-country planning, such as weather, the route, the fuel, the current publications we might need. Um, you know, and they need to be reviewed and updated probably several times during the course of a flight, because remember, this is an always adapted, changing environment. You know, the plan should be reviewed. You know, sometimes we might have a delay in takeoff due to maintenance or, um, before we get ready to go, especially here in Florida, guys, especially in Florida, um, weather can just change like in a heartbeat. Like we'll have one of those little pop-up storms and it's going to delay us. So remember, like, there, we may have to have this continuous process where we have to reevaluate these things. Weather is a huge, huge part of any plan. Um, and I encourage you all, if you don't have your instrument rating, I encourage you to get your instrument rating. Because it forces you to have such a better understanding of weather and how it works. So, the next thing up is the plane. And the plane can consist of an unusual array of mechanical to cosmetic issues. Um, You know, every owner and operator uh, can give you a laundry list of things that they can tell you about their plane. Um, Some aircraft have advanced avionics. You know, and we as pilots, we need to make sure that we understand that uh, these need to be updated. Uh, they have databases in these uh, these GPS. Um, some of them uh, can be uploaded by you and some of them can't be. So when we go to assess this 5P, You know, when we get to the plane, you know, one of the questions I might need to ask myself is, you know, are the GPS databases updated? You know, we need to regularly review uh, the airplane systems um, to ensure that uh, everything is operational and they're operating within limits. Um, And then we really need to be able to spot potential risk factors while um, we're, we're implementing this plan. So we don't miss something like... Not updating the IFR GPS. The next one up is the pilot, and again, this goes directly back to uh, that I'm safe checklist. Um, we just really need to make sure that us as the pilot that we're ready and accepting to prepare uh, to take a flight. You know, we we can't have an illness. We we can't be on medications that are gonna that are gonna affect flight. Um, we need to make sure that. Uh, we stay away from alcohol and uh make sure that we rest so we're not fatigued. We need to make sure that um we don't have these high levels of stress and finally our uh emotions need to be in check, correct? That's what we were talking about in the in the in the I'm safe. And again, in the 5 P's under pilot, that's kind of the same thing. Um and remember, like, once the risks are identified, then we need to stop right there and we need to either fix it or cancel the flight. If it's something that we can't fix, then probably shouldn't be flying. The next one up is passengers. And I, I gotta tell you, I love you guys as passengers. I will pretty much fly with just about anybody but sometimes unique situations come up, especially if you're flying people's children. Um, you know, sometimes we can utilize um, passengers um, and we can use them to help us read checklists. Um, we can help them uh, maybe possibly tune radios, you know, if, they, if they're, uh, I guess, airplane savvy enough. Uh, we can utilize them in different ways and manner, uh, manners to help reduce um, I guess you could say uh, stress and what, what you call it in the air in the, in the airplane. But we also need to make sure that we're careful uh, to consider what roles we do give our passengers. you know I for example my wife all right listen she's she's not anti-aircraft uh, but she just wants to ride. You know, I can't tell her to turn tune uh, a radio in, or I can't tell her um, to talk on the radio or anything like that. Uh, I'd be lucky if she would read off a checklist. Um, so I can't really task her out to do a whole lot. Passengers can also create additional pressures uh, to, pilot, to complete uh, flights as planned. And this goes back to the external pressures. Um, And really, honestly, the best way to handle this, man, is tell them that in flying, there are always potential risks and hazards. And one of those risks are that we could come up into weather and have to be delayed or a mechanical issue. It's the easiest way that I deal with passengers. And the last one is programming. Um, And I'm gonna keep this one real short. this comes down to all the new advanced avionics that are out there um and i'll just tell you that the the piper arrow that I fly normally um this thing is just littered with this technologically advanced stuff I mean really cool stuff it is um but it also can be incredibly uh distracting. Uh, one of the ways that we can maybe not be as distracted uh, using this kind of thing is to really be properly trained in the use of the avionics. Maybe like pulling up a battery cart one day uh, and sitting out there and going through a procedure, you know, um, how do I load a flight plan? How do I activate it? How do I suspend it? How do I um, load and an approach uh, whatever you want to do? Um, we can't allow ourselves to get fixated on, um, programming, uh, these avionics, uh, and that just, again, goes right back to making sure that you're properly trained. Another thing is, is that we need to be familiar with the equipment that we use. We need to be, uh, familiar with the routes we take, the local air traffic control environment, Um, And we also need to assess our own personal capabilities in this as well. Um, So that's the five P's. So I encourage you guys for your homework assignment is to go over and review the I'm safe, the pave in the in the five P uh, checklist. Implement them, use them. Um, Again, this is a continuous uh, process of risk management. Uh, This will never go away in your aviation career, so I highly hope that uh, you guys get really good at using it. Well, I want to thank you all um, for starting this journey with me. Um, This concludes our seven-part series on the fundamentals of instruction. And now we're going to start moving on towards um, more of the meat, I guess you can say, of flight instructing. Um, the next thing that we're gonna be t- talking about is gonna be the uh technical subject areas. Um, I think that includes like aeromedical factors and runway uh encourage avoidance. Uh, we're gonna actually start getting into this instructor PTS um and hopefully get us all ready for our uh flight instructor teachings. Again, thank you guys for following Nathan's landings today. I'm Nathan Aller. Uh, You'll be able to find these podcasts on Spotify, and soon they'll be uploaded to Facebook. Uh, I would really like to get a little bit of feedback from you guys um, just to see how I'm going about teaching. And I'm also going to start implementing some video uh, podcasts as well. I think I'm going to try that. Again, thanks again for joining me tonight. You guys have a a wonderful day. Stay safe flying. Uh, This is Nathan signing out.